Hey, I'm glad you're here today. If you're uh, visiting with us, these little cards are like in the row right in front of you. If you want to fill one out, there's also one in the bulletin if that's easier for you. And if you just want to do artwork, somebody did artwork on the back of mine and did an awesome job, might I add. So um, maybe you'll get lucky and when you pull yours out, there'll be some awesome artwork on the back too. But if you are visiting or if, like, let's say you moved last year, we may not, we may know you moved, but not even know like where or your new address. So if you could fill that out to update us on anything. And like I mentioned, there's also one in your bulletin. If you want prayer for anything in your life, job, family, any kind of needs that are going on in your life, in your bulletin, there's a little tab. You can just pull that out, write that out. You can put your name, you can remain anonymous. We can contact you, but if you don't ask me to contact you, I will never mention it to you. Sometimes people will say, hey, you know, I put that prayer request in. You never even called me. I was like, you never asked me to, and I'm not that nosy. So I pray for you, but I do not, I will not be intrusive in your life. When people have surgery, sometimes they'll say, why didn't you come see me? And I'll say, because I asked how you were doing, and you didn't invite me, and so that's where it stopped. So if you don't believe me, just ask people around here. I want to know when people have some things going on, and I am diligent to pray. I typically pray between two and four days a week. I just walk around in this room and pray. I pray for people that are in our church, the needs I know, the things that are going on in the community. Sometimes it's five minutes and sometimes it's an hour. And I don't say that to brag. I just say that to let you know, I want to pray for you, but I got to know what's going on in your life. So if you've got something going on, please take a minute or two to fill that out on Sundays. You can give it to an usher. You can drop it in the offering. You can put it in the little black box right next to the information station and those get to me and to our Tuesday prayer group and to our Wednesday night prayer team as well. So I just want to make sure that you know that sometimes people don't even know that we have prayer available. Students, it's time for your class. I'm sorry. Good thing Reed was like looking at me smiling, but looking at me like, come on, man, I prepared something. Have a great class and I'll see most of you tonight at youth group. So last week I talked about the fact that Americans were tired and uh, the most interesting thing to me is how many of you responded because normally when I talk about things, people virtually don't respond and most everybody, when I said, how many of you are tired? Like the entire room's hand, I was like, wow, I can't believe you have the strength to do that with everybody being tired. We live in a time and in a society that we are exhausted with life. We are busier than ever. We... Believe it or not, even though you look and you go, I don't feel like people work as hard. Actually, the hours people are working are more than at any other point in history. We work more, and our work has changed. Most of you are not farmers. Most of you are not laborers. Most of you aren't toiling. Some of you probably work construction, and you're like, Jeff, you have no idea the toil I do. And that's true. Nobody's seen the toil you've seen. But... um. The truth is, whatever your job, you're probably working more than you ever have. And you're probably working more than the generation before you. And we feel guilty when we're not doing something. You don't even have to raise your hands, but just think to yourself, how many of you have felt guilty that you weren't doing more? More for your kids, because this mom does this. More for your spouse, because, you know, I should be doing this. More for, I should get home from work and I should clean the house and I should do this and I should do that and I should make sure that special projects and dinner's on the table and all these other things. And then we feel bad 
that we don't do enough, and we do and we do and we do. And because of that, we are emotionally exhausted. And I talked about three things that happen when we're emotionally exhausted last week. Number one, feelings take over. Feelings are good, and it's good to express it, but feelings can lie to you. Your feelings can deceive you. Number two, we attempt to take control. Okay, I'm going to control my whole world and my whole environment so that I feel like I'm in charge of things. And number three, we allow negativity to take root. Everything in our life becomes negative because I don't feel like I'm, I'm exhausted. I don't feel like I ever do enough. I don't feel like I'm in control. And so then negativity begins to take root and I can't see anything good. I can't see anything promising. I can't see any hope. Well, today I want to talk a little bit about how we counter that. So last week I talked about the dangers in that and how we fall into that. Today I'm going to talk about how we counter that. So John 2, 1 through 10, for those of you who were here last week or read the weekly email, you knew it was coming. So you probably already read it. You've probably memorized it even. But for those who haven't, here we go. John chapter 2, 1 through 10, it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, as a person will often do, talking back rudely to their mother, Woman, what does that, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. If I talk to my mother that way, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were, there, there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water, that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out good wine. And when the guests have drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. And in verse 11 it says, the, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So how do I live like this? How do I live in the fullness so that my life isn't about the exhaustion that I feel? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about how do I live in that, in that place of rest in who he is, in that place of wholeness, in that place where I'm not constantly on this treadmill. If I'll just do a little more, then maybe Jesus will love me. If I'll just try harder, then maybe I'll be accepted. And I'm here to tell you today, you cannot try hard enough because you don't have to try. So if you're trying harder for Jesus to love you more, you're just spinning your wheels. But I'm here to tell you today that you can find rest in him. You can find wholeness in him. You can find peace in him. You can find in him what you can't find in everything else that you're trying in order to connect with him. So how do I live like this? Number one, allow Jesus to influence every decision I make. You must learn to hear his voice. And when I do, I need to respond to that voice. Last week, I started a series at youth group on Jonah. And the very first thing it tells us in Jonah, it says, and Jonah heard, God told Jonah, 
And I talked to the students. I got through three verses and I said, you have to learn to hear God's voice. And if you don't know how to hear God's voice, then you will always be on this quest to, well, am I doing it right? Is this right? Is that right? And I told them, it's a learned thing. It's learning to hear God's voice. It's learning to know and to understand. And we do that through his word. We do that through prayer. We do that through knowing who God is. But you have to learn to hear that voice. You have to learn to know that Jesus wants to be in your life and be involved in your life. And so the first thing we do is we must learn. But then the second thing is we have to do what Jesus said. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. So now Jesus is kind of on the spot. At first he's like, what is this a concern to me? But then his mother goes, whatever he says, do it. Well, now I've got to do something. Now I've got no more. Here's the interesting thing, though. First miracle. How did his mother know? Because she knew who he was. From the very beginning, when we know Jesus and we know him intimately and we're in relationship with him, when we know him, we know what he can do and we know his voice. And when we're striving, always striving, always striving, a lot of times it's not about, oh, I just want to be the best Christian I can be. It's about, I just want the world to see everything I'm doing. I just want those around me to know how hard I'm working. You have to encourage others to do what Jesus says. But we have to get used to in our own life doing what he says. Third thing we have to do, if we're really going to live like this, we have to trust that God's plan for us is better than our plan for ourselves. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, he knows more than you. Let's learn to follow him. He knows the way. Let's learn to follow that way. I was reading, um, it was about six, seven months ago, I was reading of this book about um, the Donner Party, and they became famous because they ate each other. Um, but they get stuck in the Sierra Nevadas. And the reason they get stuck is not because they did what they were supposed to. What happened was they believed they had another shortcut. And a storm was coming in, so they got off the trail, even though the other guides had always taken the same trail. They decided they were going to go their own way. When we have a path and we have a route and God has shown us something, how often, you don't have to respond physically, but just think, how often do you still want to do it your own way? Well, sure, I know this is the best way, but if I just do it my own way, I can take charge and it'll be better, it'll be faster, it'll be, it'll be you know... I'll like it more because it'll be easier. But how many of us, we try to do it our own way. We try to take our own shortcut and then we end up eating each other. Maybe not physically, maybe not literally. But we end up destroying ourselves and those around us because we try to do it our own way. Now that's not to say that the, that the Holy Spirit hasn't given you the power to think. Sometimes people will tell me, I'll say, hey, are you going to join us for such and such. And they'll go, I'm praying about it to see what God says. I'll tell you what God says. God says, serve one another. Are you going to join us or not? Check your calendar and let me know if you'll be there. All right? 
God gave you a, the ability to have common sense. And yet at the same time, there are other situations in our life where we genuinely want to do what God wants us to do. Should I stay at my job or should I go? Both may be okay. You can stay at your job and work hard and serve your boss and do what God wants. Or maybe, just maybe, God has something else for you. God has something better for you. God has the next thing, but you have to be bold enough to walk out the door and to find that. When we seek first the kingdom of God, it says all of this other stuff we find. But too often times, we want to find out what's going to work best for me. What's going to make me happy? What's going to fill my boredom? What's going to make me satisfied? Walk in the expectation of the miraculous. That's the next thing. In order for us to live like we're called to live, which is not exhausted, but is refreshed and fulfilled, we have to walk in expectation of the miraculous. We do not control the miracles. Stop believing that if you'll pray this prayer. I've literally seen books that say, if you pray like this, then the miraculous happens. I read books like that at a period in my life. How to pray, how to make miracles happen, how to do this. I went to three different seminars on prayer and making miracles happen before I discovered, oh, wait, you mean God's not like a jukebox where I put in my dollar and I get to pick three songs I want and then... Suddenly I began to understand, I have to contend for the miraculous, but whether they ever happen or not, I have to contend, not I have to make them happen. And I've told you my philosophy before, and I got in trouble a few years ago because I talked about this at camp after they asked me to come and speak on it. And I said, because you pray for someone until they're dead, then you step over the dead body and you pray for the next one. And they said, I lacked faith. And I was like, no, I have incredible faith. I'm willing to pray for somebody after there's a dead person at my feet. How is that not miraculous? Do I want to see people healed? Yes, but I am not the healer. God is the healer, but I will contend for the miraculous. I will expect the miraculous. And when it doesn't happen, I don't blame God. I don't have a pity party for myself. I look and I say, God, I know you want to work in people. So continue to do that. I walk with an expectation of the miraculous. I think another thing we do, this isn't in my notes, but I think another thing we do is sometimes... When we don't see the miraculous, we say God doesn't do miracles anymore. That was back then. And I think how arrogant is it of us to put a cap on what God can do? And I think that's our own fear and our own arrogance. It's our fear and our arrogance that says, well, God can't do that anymore. Because nowhere does he say, I'm going to do this for a time, and then I'm stopping doing that. In fact, his instructions basically to the disciples are now go out and do what I've done. What I've shown you, go and do it. And it tells us in Scripture, you'll see even greater things. You'll see greater things. Not, oh, well, you'll see nothing. Or this no longer applies to you. My theme for the year, as some of you know, is allow Jesus to refresh your life. And as I was putting this together, it was originally going to be one week, and then I probably could have stretched it into easily three because I had so much stuff and I kept cutting and and getting rid of stuff that I wanted to say, but I also know that American attention spans are short. And that's not a fault. That's just a reality of the way we live today. 
And that's okay. But if I want you to connect and have this refreshed life that Jesus wants to give you, it has to be based on rest. You can't be always exhausted. One of the things I strive to do as a church is I strive to have one thing a month, but not more than one thing a month. And sometimes you can't control that because we'll do, you know, the big Easter egg hunt, but we'll also do a Good Friday service. I don't control when those dates fall. They just happen to fall. Good Friday happens to fall the day before our Easter egg hunt. You know, that's just the way it works. But when I was growing up, we were in church three or four times a week. And I value church. I do. I value being together. But it's not about this place. It's about that last part, being together. And if I'm going to find this place of rest in Jesus, I have to find things that bring me joy and bring me life and bring me a sense of peace, not a sense of obligation. So if I want Jesus to really refresh my life, I have to look and ask God, or look and ask myself, how is God going to renew my spirit? How is God going to refresh my soul? How is God going to do this within me? Not out of a way to be selfish, but out of a way to take that and give it to others of who he is and what he's doing in me. So my focus has to be on what God wants to do through me, and that can only be done when I'm refreshed in him. If I'm always going, 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 and doing, 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 and never just in his presence being refreshed, then I'm not really giving of him, I'm giving of what I have. And eventually what I have runs out. Eventually what I have is no longer enough. It's not about doing. And yet God also says, the people around us will know we're Christians by the way we love people. It says your faith is lived out by serving others. But that can only come from that place of already being rested and refreshed in him. So the resting and the refreshing has to happen before any of that other stuff, before any of the things that I'm called to do can be lived out. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says this, And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm going to face difficult times, but I can rejoice in them if I know who I am in Him. I'm going to face trials and challenges, So am I seeing God at work in my life? If so, how do I show this to the world? And if not, not what is lacking in me, but what am I lacking in him? Because he doesn't look and say, oh, you're lacking, you're not enough. What he does is he looks and he says, you're so much more than you are living out or can imagine. That's how he sees you. He sees you as more than enough. He sees you and loves you exactly as you are, but he also sees who you can become. That you're not finished. And that's a beautiful promise to us. 
That this isn't all there is, that there's more. And as we embrace that more, as we walk into that, we're going to experience more of who he is. When we grab that and accept it and just allow it to wash over us, there's a freedom that is promised. There is something that is given. So my question is, do I believe in the miraculous in my life? Not can God do miracles, but do I believe that God wants to do the miraculous in me? The first miracle we see requires action on the part of others. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six water pots, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 to 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to him, said to them, fill the water pots with water. And what did they do? And they filled them to the brim. Sometimes Jesus needs you to act out in faith. He needs you to do something. Not because he can't do it without you, but because he chooses to be involved in our lives And God has always, from the very beginning, wanted people who would choose him and has worked through humans. God could have suddenly just flashed down and created the ark and told Noah to get on it. But what does he do? He lets Noah act out in faith and he says, go and build it. Abraham, he could have picked Abraham up and just put him somewhere else. Could have, boom, transfigured him. We have other cases where talks about people who were transfigured, but he doesn't. He sends him on a journey because he wants to test his faith and he wants to grow his faith and he wants to grow him as a person and he spends years wandering but always knowing that there's a land that God has promised him. And too often times, we're not satisfied in the journey. We want the final destination right now. And yet the journey is some of the most beautiful part. The journey shapes and molds and creates us into who God wants us to be. Not because we're not enough, but because he sees who you can be. It's the whole concept of the statue of David when they asked Michelangelo, how did you make it? He goes, I just chip away everything that's not David. The statue was there all the time. You just got to get rid of that other stuff. God looks at you and you are enough. You can stop chasing. You can stop pursuing. You are enough. It doesn't mean he's not going to shape and mold you into more of who he created you to be, but you can stop chasing it. You can rest and relax in knowing that God has you, that God wants to engage with you, that God wants to do the miraculous in you and through you, not so that you're more tired. but so that you know him more. And I find it interesting. Those who know the voice of God tend to be the ones who pursue him more and more. That when we know that voice, we want to know him more. With God, the impossible is made possible. The things you don't think you can overcome can be overcome. Mark 10, 27 says this, but Jesus looked in them at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. God wants to do things in you and through you you can't imagine. 
And you may say, Jeff, you don't know what my addiction is. You don't know what my past is. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I've been. And I say, it doesn't matter because God does know and he still looks and he says, you're the one I want to use. You're the one that I want to use. But Jeff, I've, I've got this and this and this. Yeah, that's right. And it's, let's put that behind us. It doesn't mean there's no consequences. Our earthly actions have consequences. But God's grace is bigger than that. The miraculous is more than what we could ask or expect. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to, to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. The Holy Spirit is able to do more than your mind can comprehend. But we don't seek it. Because that's too much. And we don't ask it because I don't want to be a bother to God. I'm telling you now, you are not a bother. He invites you. He beckons you. And he calls you into his presence. And he says, come to me. Come and get to know me. Come and learn my voice. Come and ask me and petition me and tell me what you need. Not because he's a vengeful God but because he looks and his love for you is so great that he would do anything to be back in relationship with you. It doesn't always look like what we want, but sometimes it's something better than we could ever have asked for ourselves. It doesn't always look like what we expect, but sometimes, and this is the beauty of it, Because he sees a bigger picture, it's better than anything you could have asked or hoped for. So here's my questions today. If I say I cannot do this on my own, that I need Jesus active in my life, and when I try to make, when I try to make the world be a better place, kind of that power of positive thinking, I'm left exhausted, defeated, disappointed, and disillusioned. When I try to make my world be what I want it to be, And yet, when I sit back and I rest in him and I experience the miraculous around me and I'm invited to be a part of it, suddenly it's not about, what did Jeff do? Did he do enough? Is he good enough? Did he say the right words to the right prayer? Did he pray long enough? Did he pray too many times and end up asking in a lack of faith? All that... It's just what we put on ourselves. The question is, am I willing to allow Jesus to refresh me? Am I willing to serve others, not out of a need to be noticed, but out of a desire and a passion to reflect who Jesus is in me? Because that can only happen if I've already let Jesus come in. If I've already let him move in me and through me. That I don't need to do one more thing I'm not earning my way to heaven, but I'm showing those around me the beauty and reality of who Jesus is by the way I serve and love others. And it's a, some of us, it's a change of dichotomy. For other people, it's a whole different transformation. But I'm here to tell you today, the beauty is if we're willing to allow Jesus to refresh our life, I might have to give up some things. I may have to give up that control. I may have to give up what I want, but he's not taking it to be mean. He's taking it so he can shape it and put the things of value in me so that I can know him more.
And that is a beautiful thing, my friends. That's supposed to be freedom, not bondage. That's supposed to be freedom, not holding you back from the good things in life, but experiencing the good things in life because of who he is. Father God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for our community of faith at Gathering Place. God, I just pray for those who are here today that are struggling with illness. We pray for healing. For those who are struggling with depression, I pray for wholeness and hope. For those who are struggling with isolation and loneliness, I pray that they would feel connected to people. God, let us get out of that place where it's about us and more into that place where it's about you. We thank you and praise you for what you're doing in us and through us. If you want prayer today for anything going on in your life, your family situation, job situation, marriage, uh, relationship with your kids or your parents, maybe it's physical healing, maybe it's emotional, spiritual healing, there'll be people up here up front to pray with you. Um, I invite you to come and stay. I always say it's supposed to be simple. I, I tell them, keep the prayers brief. People that come up, they already are feeling, you know, like I'm putting myself out there. They just want to pray with you. They don't want anything, you know. If you want to give them their name, your name and number so that they can follow up, they will. If you don't, you are not obligated to. If you want me to know about it, tell them or write it down. They'll tell me. If you don't want me to know about it, they won't tell me. They don't tell me anything unless you ask them to. They're just here to pray for you. So young or old, it doesn't matter. If you want prayer for anything in your life today, I want to invite you to come on up and and experience that. For the rest of you, I want you to know you're loved and you're valued. And Jesus sees you and you are enough. And stop chasing, stop being on that quest and find that place of rest in him. Have a great week. We'll see you all next week. Hey, so Dan, we'll... I'll see you at breakfast and then you'll meet her at 10 o'clock.